Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Friday morning, the 23rd of June across Rural Queensland today. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. If you've missed any of our shows, you can always get in contact with me, ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. You can also uh, go to Spotify and listen to any of our shows. Shows. Well, um, the submarine that was going down to the Titanic, uh, how parts of the submarine have been found and the tragedy is that there are five lives lost. Some questions will be asked whether or not they should have tried to go down there, but what a hor- horrific story for the families. Uh, that has just been and come forth. Uh, the women's state of origin side, they win the series, although they didn't win the match last night in Townsville. What a great crowd that was there. 18,000. They broke a record in Townsville last night and it was just a fantastic game as well. Uh, Congratulations to all involved uh, with Queensland winning the series. Fantastic. They didn't win the game, but they did win the series. And Bruce, what a great spectacle that was as well. Let's get into it. It's Friday. Senator Susan McDonald, she joins us first up. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland Today. On Rural Queensland today, it's Friday morning, the 23rd of June. Uh, Senator Susan McDonald joining us this morning. Senator, good morning and thank you for being with us on this Friday morning. Really appreciate your time. Ben, it is always great to talk to you and bring everybody up to date with what's happened in the last week. Uh, particularly when we've been in Parliament, it's been pretty crazy. It certainly has been. Uh, there's no two ways about that. But the critical mineral strategy fail. Um, while Labor will build a $75 million, uh, critical mil- minerals demonstration facility at Townsville by early 25, Senator, you, you've questioned the federal Labor's commitment to critical minerals. And I, I think this is rightly so. They've reduced funding in the sector They've obviously jammed them very heavily on royalties and we actually don't know where they stand. Well, Ben, the, the critical mineral space is all of the materials that are so critical uh, for the electrification of the network, uh, whether it be electric cars, batteries, uh, as more and more uh, motor vehicles are connected to the grid, uh, it is important that the rest of the world, who is uh, moving so quickly towards this, and even Australia to some extent, has the critical minerals available to do this. Australia has enormous reserves, uh, including being the uh, having the third largest deposits of vanadium. Vanadium is a, a battery stock that's not talked about enough, but it is the one that will provide the baseload firming for the transmission network. Forget about electric cars and lithium and all of this. This is the one. But in order for Australia to be mining these things, and even more importantly, to be value-adding, to be making sure that Australia isn't just a big uh, pit, that we do get the smart jobs, we don't lose the skills to overseas, we have to understand we're in a competition. The US has invested over a trillion dollars in the um, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. They're pouring a huge amount of money into defence supply procurement and Australia has to be at the table. And we can only be at the table if we're sending clear messages to investors, come and operate here. And there's a few ways that you can do that. One is in good loans that allow them to set up 
um, set up operations here. And under the coalition, we gave $1.25 billion as a loan to our Luca resources for them to value add rare earths. Um, then uh, there was an, there's another $2 billion for critical minerals development, uh, again, another fund. And in addition to that, we had uh, $200 million for an accelerator plan to allow those smaller operators to come to the table and get that startup capital to get going. Sure. Now, Labor has cut the $200 million, halved it in the first budget and gone again. They've left the, the $2 billion in place, so that's good. The critical mineral strategy, which was announced this week, no new minerals. I wrote to the resources minister saying there is other things that we have to put on this list. We have to prioritise things, Ben, like potash and phosphate. These are critical for food security. We discovered this during COVID that we have none of our own supplies despite having huge reserves. So there is a lot of work to be done in this space. Uh, a, a, a company told me the other day they think the window is as short as 18 months to two years to be approving projects, to having them get started because there is such demand by 2030, 2040, you know, the next the next very short period. So why is there the, why is there the reluctancy, Susan? Is it to appease the Greens? Is, is that what it's about? Well, I don't understand then because the Greens should be in support of this. This is this whole crazy rush to emissions reductions despite Australia being such a great exporter of fossil fuels uh, because when Australia exports its fossil fuels, three things happen. One, we get great, well-paid jobs, huge taxes and royalties, and they pay for us to build schools and roads and hospitals. Uh, the second thing is that it keeps our region geopolitically very stable. It means that our, our um, customers don't have to go to Russia, to Iran, to uh, Oman to buy their gas and, and coal and other things. And it also means that we saw when there was big price spikes uh, recently that poor countries in Africa, developing nations, couldn't afford to buy the energy needs from places like Australia, but certainly from the world market. And they turn to dung and wood, higher emitting uh, energy sources, uh, better, worse uh, health outcomes for them. So when Australia is not a part of the world supply mix, yeah. prices are up, emissions go up. So the Greens should get this. But I don't understand why Labor is being so flat-footed on it. I can only imagine that it's because they just don't get the, the economic setup. If you don't encourage critical minerals now, if we don't bring these investors to the table, Australia will miss out. Australians will miss out. We'll miss out on taxes and royalties. We'll miss out on well-paid jobs. Our high-skilled young people will go offshore to where the projects are. And Australia will be a lovely place to come and holiday but we won't be the first world nation that we are now. This is really serious. It is a competition. Uh, we need to be at the table. Yeah, and, and rightly so. I, I agree 100%. Uh, Senator Susan McDonald joining us this morning. Now, the World Mining Congress, which is a first, um, will be in Brisbane, which is quite unbelievable. 3,000 delegates from 70 countries will be there. Now, this is critical um, that we actually are seen as at the forefront because the negativity, this is an opportunity to 
show that we are willing. Um, it'll be interesting to see who actually turns up there, Senator. It will be fascinating. There will be players from right around the world, uh, as well as our own Australian jurisdictions, uh, places like the Northwest Minerals Province, uh, terrific vanadium projects and, and other uh, minerals. They will all be there. It's like a big expo for uh, presenting Australia as a showcase. And it's so important that our neighbours, our AUKUS neighbours, our Five Eye allies, that they all see us as an important part of their supply chain, a trusted and safe place to come and invest. Now, we will probably have protesters there next week. In South Australia, excuse me, the South Australian opposition and government in a bipartisan way, passed legislation to say, if you come and protest, sure, knock yourself out. But if you block people getting to work, people getting to hospital, kids getting to school, we're going to come after you with enormous fines, not this paltry slap over the wrist stuff that Queensland does. Disgusting, disgusting. Um, so I'll be watching that. We've yeah. got to. We've got to get serious. Yes. Um, can I? Can I just ask you quickly? And I know you're busy, and we really appreciate you giving me some time this morning. Uh, a Senate inquiry into uh, the Calvary Hospital in the ACT has been called by Senators Michaela Cash and Anne Rushton. Now the Greens are backing the LNP called inquiry. Senator David Pocock abstained um, on the grounds the ACT government are having made the decision should be the ones to investigate. Uh, he referred matters to the ACT Chief Minister and Health Minister. Where are we at with this? Oh, well, this is so incredibly important. The ACT uh, legislature is, um, look, they're incredibly socialist. They are, um, they're spending money like there's no tomorrow on, on you know, light trains. They're trying to take over the Calvary Hospital which is uh, a, a very well-regarded health facility in Canberra. Uh, it has great confidence of its workforce who prefer to work there than in the public hospital. Uh, patients prefer to go there than to the public hospital. They provide a range of services. But to be clear, it's a Catholic-run facility. Uh, and so the, the ACT government has said, uh, despite you us giving you an 88-year lease some time ago, and reconfirming that as a 75-year lease, I think it was in 2011, uh, they, and, and uh, the organisation, Calvary, having spent a huge amount on buildings and staff training and you know everything yeah. else that you do, they've said, we want it back. We want it back. And they're going to take this facility and they're going to, con- they're going to run it as badly as they run their public hospital facility. The staff are terrified. They don't want to be under this new administration. Uh, the patients are going, well, we're going to have to go to Sydney, but this is all ideological because the ACT government doesn't believe in uh, religious institutions and it certainly doesn't believe in religious institutions that provide health or other um, services like this. It will creep. If we are not very careful, it will creep. It will creep into places like Brisbane uh, and other jurisdictions. So the, the only way that we could see to pull this up was to have an inquiry, to shine a light on it, to allow the staff to say, no, this is a bad idea, to allow the patients to say, we don't want to go to Sydney, um, to, to allow some metrics around the success and performance of the hospital so that you know we can understand exactly how a jurisdiction like the ACT can cancel are the operations of a successful and important hospital. This is something we should watch closely. 
and uh, and I'm really proud of the work that Matt Canavan in particular has done to get this inquiry through the Senate uh, to negotiate because it's an important, a very important point in Australia's uh, you know future. Yeah, well said. Have a great day. Um, I'm taking a couple of weeks off, as I said at the start of the show. So uh, the great Andrew Watts will be uh, with you for the next couple of weeks. We really appreciate everything you do, Susan. Um, and uh, obviously a very busy time of the year. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, we'll miss your voice for two weeks, Ben, but look forward to talking to you after that. Good on you. Senator Susan McDonald. will take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. It's the 23rd, the 23rd of June on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's the 23rd of June. Um, Rachel Chambers is Queensland Fruit and Vegetable Grower CEO. She joins us this morning on Rural Queensland Today as it is the year of horticulture and we probably need to just focus on how important and what one of the big pillars of our our financial livelihood here in Queensland is the horticultural industry. Rachel, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Look, there's so many things and and I know the challenges and we'll get to them, but what a great thing it is, year of horticulture, that we need to to, to make people aware. Um, and just, you know, the awareness of the campaign, 100 plus fruit and vegetables and nut crops, um, we should be so proud of this industry. It's had its challenges, you know, and it constantly does with water and, and pest and biosecurity from overseas and, and labour. We get that, but gee whiz, it's a pillar of, of the agricultural industry here in Queensland. Absolutely. And and isn't it a shame that we actually have to, to have a year for it? Yeah, <laughs> that it should true. Be, it should it should be just something so ingrained in all of our lives and livelihoods. But the reason that we decided that 2023 was the year of horticulture was exactly what you just said, in that we needed to stop, um, and it hadn't been done before. So we just thought, you know, everyone needs to stop. So we need to, like you said, the negativity needs to be removed, um, and we're still dealing with a lot of it, but yep. the growers need to start being revered again. The growers need to be proud. We wanted this year to be a year where all growers, by the end of the year, felt proud again of what they did, Um, that we wanted the supply chain to be acknowledged and appreciated for their involvement in food because we are a massive supply chain and it doesn't matter if a transporter has an issue or um, the marketers have an issue, et cetera, et cetera. Any link that is broken in that supply chain means that the whole supply chain doesn't work. So we needed to acknowledge that it is a massively complex supply chain. We needed consumers to understand the work and the cost that goes into one piece of fruit, nut or veg. So um, we've worked out that that wasn't very widely understood, so we wanted to do that. And um, for your listeners, we absolutely wanted the regions to remember their history. So in Queensland, soldier settlements are founded many a, um, a place in Queensland. The regions are so vital because of horticulture. Um, the velocity of the dollar. So if you can think of $1 coming into the community due to a fruit, veg or nut in any regional rural community, um, it gets spread around. That's why regional communities have uh, butchers and chemists and bakeries and things like that because the amount of labour that goes into it. Rachel, I work obviously in Brisbane in in my other career and um, one thing that you guys have done very, very well is, and, and, and a lot of other 
industries in agriculture could look at it is you've really educated, I suppose, the metropolitan population that don't know, like with the pop-ups, with the pineapples, like even the scenic rim with Eat Local Week, with the Carrot Day um, that was a couple of weekends ago. Like there's so many fantastic initiatives that have come from your producers and, um, you know, you, you guys that have really worked hard to try and not only – and you're right, why people – it isn't on people's minds, um, it, it astounds me, but – Without it, they don't understand it. But you are selling the dream a lot. And you are educating, I think, a lot more. And it, it has to start with the youth now. I get it. But you've also got to be able to get the adults to understand just exactly what they've done so they can pass it on to their children. Yeah, and look, we've only just got started. So that this year was about celebrate, educate, advocate in that order. So yeah. in every activation, it's about celebrating the grower. It's about celebrating the supply chain. Then it's about educating. And so it's about educating the consumers. And you know what we've worked out? We've only done, uh, like, like you said, the pineapples and the carrots so far. Pineapple is um, a big got... success, mind you. A very, very <laughs> successful. I loved it. I just happened to be, yeah. I just happened to be walking through. I'm like, oh, beautiful. Bloody beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really liked people who took away um, the pineapple plants in their uh, bicycle basket. Yeah. And, and, no, that wasn't and me. Um, so, so yeah, but it is, like you said, it is really important to get the consumers where they are. So I know a lot of regions love these activations in their regions and it's fabulous, but our distinct plan is to have everything we do is to have a CBD base and a regional activation as well. Hence the, um, the carrots, we had the Queen Street Mall bunnies bum coming out of the Queen Street Mall, surrounded by carrots. That gave us thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities in that day and night to talk to consumers about um, all, all things carrots and all things growing and all things farming. And you know what? We have worked out consumers are interested. So don't think they're not interested. They're interested. And as soon as you talk to them about um, the beauty of it and the challenges of it, they become your biggest advocate. So that is the space that we're playing in is that link between the food that we grow and the consumers that eat it. Growcom have really put their, you know, their stamp on a lot of things. Um, one thing that, that was announced this week, which is really important um, for me, is the Rural Financial Counselling Service uh, partnership um, with the Queensland Fruit and Veg, um, which obviously will deliver, you know, as part of Growcom's Farm Business Resilient Program um, for people and they can identify the gaps where people obviously need some help and this is something that is an initiative from within and I think it's beneficial and I think the beef industry I think the lamb industry sheep and wool could have a look at it this is a really really strong um, show of you know we know where we're going we know what we're doing and, and to have this kind of partnership a partnership announced this week is is imperative yeah and um, so the partnership came about in that we are funded by both the federal and state government to sure. deliver the, the Farm Business Resilience Program. Now, that program is about um, all growers producing a plan um, uh, that makes them resilient to, of course, all the different challenges that they, they may have. Um, it came out of the drought program. Uh, however, we, we are able to look um, more holistically across the board. Now, We've got amazing staff um, who who help farmers every day on 
um, putting these plans together. However, what is really important is that financial component of the plan. So um, I love to see every budget in three ways. Uh, so there's that, the human side of the budget. Have you got enough human um, resourcing? It's the plan and equipment side of the budget. Have you got enough plant and equipment? And also then the financial side of the budget. How are you going to pay for all of these kind of things? So we did not have the skills in-house, but we knew exactly who did. And the rural um, financial councillors have done an outstanding job over a, a vast number of years in Queensland. And we knew who we wanted on our team. We just had to work out how to get them on our team. Yeah. Um, and so it's, a, it's an amazing partnership that they're already trusted. They're people that you know. Um, they do an amazing job. They're backed up by a fabulous team. And now growers who used to, used to be able to access them, of course, if you were in some financial difficulties, um, however, this is now across the board. So any grower can now access them in horticulture um, to get help for their planning. So I too think it's fabulous. As far as grazing goes, the Grazing Resilience Program already had um, this access to real financial counselling services. So they already had it. It's just that we had to um, work out how to get it for horticulture. And now we finally did. Um, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Oh, I agree 100%. I don't want to get bogged down on the unions at the moment trying to put a, a minimum work hour because I just don't know if we got there yet. But gee whiz, it could be detrimental to your industry when they rely purely on irregular work hours, you know, for pickers and packers. And it just – it will have massive implications. And I understand this is a positive chat, but that is something, no doubt, just quickly, that you are working on over time. Where, look, the way that we're going to attack that is um, just like we did with the year of horticulture, I really don't think that those seasonal nuances of horticulture are well understood. Um, we're dealing with, you know, like we said, over 100 commodities just growing in Queensland. In those, they're growing in various regional areas. Um, a variety of strawberry um, growing in Stanthorpe can be growing either as a hydro or in the soil each one of those um, decisions has different work uh, needs, different labour needs, different nutrition needs, different water needs. It is so complex. So we're going to start a program called Tis the Season. And the Tis the Season campaign will be a year-long program where we demonstrate the seasonality nuances of horticulture. So once again, we're just trying to state the obvious in, in our opinion, but we also know that we don't. not everyone lives and breathes fruit, no. vegetable and nut like we do. Um, so we're hoping that the more we can shine a light on, look, we would love to work a 38-hour Monday to Friday week. I don't know a grower who wouldn't love weekends off, um, but it's just not our reality. So so we're just trying to educate um, everyone, not just the unions, but everyone. Um, I, that is very well said. Quickly, and I, look, I, I underprint, Rachel Chambers uh, talking to us this morning. Uh, Queensland Fruit and Vegetable CEO, Growers CEO and from Growcom as well. Um, flying Fox mitigation changes, regulation management changes in regulations. Now, I, I don't want to be negative, but, but you know, seriously, uh, what is going on with the Queensland Department of Environmental and Science? They've completed a review of the Flying Fox management regulations for crop protection and decided um, to repeal Flying Fox regulations amid animal welfare concerns. Oh, seriously. Seriously, I, mean, I, I know you've got to be politically correct on this, but I, I mean, 
this is the kind of garbage that takes up so much time that you're trying to do. I mean, I, I, I'm you know they want it phased out now um, over the next three years, and during which time you're going to have to work with the Department of Environment, manage risk encountered by growers during this transition period. I mean, this is not. This is just garbage. This is garbage. I thought that after my six years as mayor in a <laughs> flying fox area where it was absolutely horrendous, where I had to sit with very, very upset residents and um, and, and rightly so, um, I thought that I was done with flying foxes until I moved to this job and, and back, back back into them. Um, all I can say is that the growers across Queensland wrote submissions. We wrote submissions. Um, it is a it is a done deal. The the legis you know the, the decision has been made. Um, I think it's one that the next three years is going to be challenging, particularly for things like our lychee growers in Queensland. That you get a flying fox in a lychee crop, um, and it's nothing them. but. But you, nothing you know, but devastation. Do you know, like in, in Charters Towers, they've hunted them right out of the town. In Mount Isa, they, they were they were stopping people from going and grieving at the cemetery because of the colonies yep. there. Like, you know, yep. seriously, this is just environmentalists gone crazy. Um, absolutely. The devastation. Like, I mean, there's no compensation ever for the grower, ever, when something like when their crops are destroyed. Yet they can't mitigate the risk of it. I mean, at what point? Okay, so government. Okay, you don't want that. That's fine. But we're going to give you. You're going to. We're going to give you some compensation because we actually want the flying foxes to be right. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that chat. I, Rachel, it just begs to believe that this is going on. Look, we've got to keep on going. I appreciate your time on this Friday. We will talk again. Um, I really appreciate yep. your time. Thank you so much for giving me some time on this Friday morning. <laughs> No worries. My pleasure. Have a fabulous day, everyone. Thank you. Rachel Chambers um, from the Queensland Fruit and Vegetable Growers and Growcom doing a fantastic job. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is getting into that time of the season where bull season is alive and well. Rod Binney from Glenlee Beef joins us this morning and he is the stud principal of one of the leading Charolais studs throughout New South Wales and Queensland. His bulls have been sent everywhere across Australia and have done the job time and time again. I talked to him from Emerald Agro, but his winter sale is taking place on July 14 at 1pm. It'll be in conjunction with the live auction and Auctions Plus and Elders Winton, Scotty Taylor and Michael Smith uh, will be the agents you need to get in contact with. Rod, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, good morning, mate. How you doing? All right. Um, 39 Charolais bulls on offer, 30 pulled, eight Red Factor sale uh, sale bulls all ready for Winton on July the 14th. Yes, we're very happy with the way they've come up. Yeah, 30 pole bulls in total and eight Red Factors uh, included in the draft. And uh, there are some, some the elite bulls. We've got some tremendous size that we've, we're taking to Winton. They're best ever draft that's taken up there, either from our stud or the, the Fairfield stud that we purchased a few years ago. And and still, and still selling those prefix bulls. Rod, the, the the big thing when you look at people who grow bulls is their cow herd, and and you've got a superior cow herd. You talked about you know the thousand cows that you purchased off the Fairfield herd in twenty twenty one, plus everything else you've got. You've got uh, you aspire to be 
arguably Australia's largest Charolais seed stock producer and, and business. Oh well, there's there's a few few quite big ones in Queensland. We're we're a growing business, so we're uh, you know we're 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 uh, always always looking at the leaders and 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 trying to catch get up to where their level is. Oh, I reckon. Uh, and yeah, the cow herd that we've built. Um, you know, dates back 50 years. Um, originally, um, in, in, uh, started out in Tasmania. I moved to New South Wales many years ago now, and we've got uh, cattle spread across the north coast and, and inland where we where we grow where we have the cows, and um, we um, prepare the bulls and, and sell them mostly in the north. These bulls are, are superior, and on the 14th of July at the Winton Sale Yards, a real opportunity for a lot of people to purchase uh, quality. Quality Charolais bulls. You'll you'll be in Claremont August August the eighteenth, Roma on the thirteenth of September as well. All with Charolais. Now, to me, you know, as a cross, they're an unbelievable cross. But you know, the one of the big well, highlights you see is as a first cross, just the the progeny, how it can give you an increase in returns in three different ways. That's right. Well, you know, you, you, Charolais growth is undisputed. I mean, they are the, the, the lead growth breed in, in, the, in the country. I don't think that's an end of dispute at all. And we, our performance uh, recording indicates that ours is at the top end of the breed. Um, so without, without growth, you know, that, that's, the, that's the key component of Charolais. And additionally, you know, uh, the, the flatback premium, uh, in addition to the Charolais premium, I mean, feedlotters know that Charolais perform and gain are more efficient gainers in feedlots, so they're actually cheaper to feed per kilo of gain. So they'll pay a premium for them uh, uh, in in uh, in the paddock and uh, on over grids. And then the, and then the one thing that that often is overforgetting: Charolais bulls have a higher libido than lot than most boss indicus bulls, and they'll get more calves. They'll get more cows in calves for uh, for bulls exposed. Therefore, uh, more calves to sell. And with the markets changing. Uh, that's become more kilos and more calves on the, uh, to sell has become uh, more critical than than, than, than ever, and, and and that's a really important thing. Yeah, I mean, as things tighten up, you need to make sure that every every single calf hits the deck, and you can get the maximum out of a return out of every single one. That's what a Charolais does for you. There's no two ways well, about it. What, what would you say that this lineup of bulls, um, you know, that are going to Winton? How would you describe them? I mean, you're at Emerald Agro as we speak today. Um, obviously yeah, we, we always bulls. sell a few bulls here at Agro, and yeah. that's just part of what we of do. Course. And but our, but our main sales, of course, are at Winton uh, on uh, on the 14th of July, uh, uh, and then we've got another one at Claremont with 40 bulls on the on the 18th of August, and then again 80 bulls in Roma on the 13th of September. But our, our Winton bulls um, are, are uh, our, a lot of our autumn-born bulls, so they're mature, big, strong bulls. A lot of the bulls are sort of 850 to 950 kilos, and ready to tip out with the cows immediately. Um, they'll, they won't have a big adjustment period. They haven't been overfed. We've presented them to their full potential without pumping them up uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to uh, overfed standards and, and need to be let down and all this sort of thing. So we're mindful of where they're going and, and what they're expected to do. So um, we're very comfortable with the bulls in and, and that sense. And, and I'd really uh, encourage anyone who's interested in Charolais and, and, and increasing their returns out of their... Brahman and Brahman across cows to, to come along and have a look at the bulls, and I'm sure they'll be very, very impressed. Can I just ask you, if I look at them, how would I describe your bulls? What what, what would you say, you know, what would be for you the biggest compliment that somebody could give these bulls? Quiet temperament. Yep. Lots of growth and wait for age. Yep. 
um, a, a, a good, uh, excellent, excellent muscling, so yield and uh, and finish. With uh, the, the bulls, I mean, all the growth and muscle in the world are no good if you can't finish them. We always emphasise uh, bulls that have got uh, ability to lay down fat as they mature, and um, that's uh, that's really the, what our breeding program centres around, and and what the bulls represent at Winton and uh, at our other bull sales later in the year. Yeah, it speaks volumes. Um, July the 14th, Winton Sayards. Now, from Wednesday the 12th, after midday at the Winton Sayards, bulls will be penned and open for inspection, and they're available there for, to have a look at. Now, they'll be penned on from 10 a.m. on sale day um, for a later sale at 1 p.m. Now, you can go to glenleebeef.com.au week prior, and you'll all the videos will be up. Auction Plus will be there and available, and that'll be listed on the 10th of July. So this is the first of three sales, um, 39 bulls on offer at the Winton Sale Yards, July 14. They'll be there from Wednesday the 12th after midday, and um, you can go and have a look at in the pens and inspect on the day of from 10 a.m. Michael Smith, well, we'll Scott Taylor. Them. Yep. Well, we'll have them ready at... That's what we've said in the catalogue. We'll have them ready for a genuine inspection, but they'll actually arrive at midday on Tuesday. Yep. So if anyone is in the district on Tuesday and would like to have a look at the bulls, they won't be washed, etc. but people can see through a bit of dust and mud, uh, or dust and, and, and muck, but uh, from the from the tra- trip up, um, all these bulls have been prepared at Condamine yep. and will be trucked up on um, uh, a Monday and, and arrive uh, Tuesday after spelling a black hole. So, uh, so there is the opportunity to have a look at them on the on the Tuesday afternoon, but uh, they'll be all spick and span and ready for for a proper inspection from Wednesday lunchtime. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much, mate. Um, I really appreciate you making yourself available. Best of luck at Agro today. Um, that sale uh, where at Winton Sayards the fourteenth of July, live auction and auctions plus agents or elders Winton, Scotty Taylor or Michael Smith. Um, 39 Charolais bulls on offer, 30 polled, 8 red factor bulls. Rod Binney, uh, stud principal, we'll talk to you again throughout the uh, bull selling season, but thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thanks very much. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today, Friday morning, the 23rd of June. <coughs> National Livestock Manager for Ray White Rural, Peyton Fitzsimons, joins us this morning, Friday morning, the 23rd of June on Rural Queensland today. Fitz, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. You've been across the state um, throughout the last couple of weeks, mate, and clearly, you know, there's a lot of cattle on the move at the moment. The market, the markets aren't as strong as we'd all would have hoped for, but there is some patches of really good results, and, and I think we certainly have seen the bottom. Good morning, Ben. Right. You are you're very correct. I think uh, just from the feeling of the way you see a lot of the markets at the moment, but of course there's those natural fluctuations in them. However, uh, there's been some strong results with a few store cattle, especially your store steers, the last uh, the last week to uh, to ten days. Your store heifers, mate, are still you know as uh, as tough as they come. Like they're uh, they're not getting a lot of buy support at the moment. But, uh, yeah, your fat cattle, not a lot of feed-away cattle in the physical markets in the sale yards. So, uh, yeah, just from what I've sort of seen, I did a couple of sales this week. I did um, the Monto store sale, which was a very, very successful sale, and then uh, the Idesville sale as well. And, you know, those, some store cattle there at Idesville, you know, they probably sold as dear as any other market in the state this week. So, um, you know, there is some positive signs there, mate. And as you just mentioned, you might have just seen the, 
little bit of a bottom with some of these categories of cattle at the moment. Yeah, seasonally wise, it's patchy, isn't it, across Queensland at the moment? Oh, mate, mate very, yeah, very much so. Um, you go into uh, into the Burnett and, and areas around there in the southern part of the Burnett, uh, like Eyebold, Mundubra, uh, Gainda, through that sort of neck of the woods, uh, there is still a body of feed in some areas there and in other areas it is extremely dry and uh, yeah, looking pretty ordinary for this time of year going into winter. Western Queensland, uh, right out Longreach, Winton and then up to Julia Creek, uh, McKinlane, Kynuna. You know, there's a, a wonderful body of feed out there. It is still only dry feed. There's a little bit of a green button, some of it, but there is, you know, a, a big, big body of feed still out there. Uh, and then you sort of come back across to the coast like Townsville, uh, a bit dry around Charters Towers uh, for this time of year. But, uh, yeah, right along that top line, a lot of that country is looking very good at the moment. Yeah, and, and that's the big thing about it. Fitzy, um, some rainfall predicting, predicting, and, geez, it would come in the right time and handy, wouldn't it? Oh, my word. The, uh, yeah, the Bureau of Meteorology. Wonderful ladies and fellas in there predicted a bit of an El Nino coming through and then a week after that was pumped about and now we're talking rain. So mate, who, who would know? But um, yeah, across New South Wales, especially uh, rainfall there in the next sort of 10 to 14 days, uh, you know, predictions of you know, anywhere from 20 to 60 millimetres. Um, some of that rainfall also filters through into southern Queensland. So Mate, if we could just get a bit of rain, if we could get a couple of inches through New South Wales, a lot of that cropping country would take a lot of pressure out of the cattle job, especially those supermarket, uh, supermarket weight cattle. And uh, and moving forward, I would say you'll see a bit of a more positive outlook. But yeah, rain in the next two weeks, with his forecast over a fair build of country and even into the southern part of the Northern Territory, would be very well received. Yeah, you're dead right. Dolby Stock Horse nominations open shortly. Um, obviously, the horse sale, the horse industry going very, very well. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see that, you know, the, the, there's been record numbers everywhere and I would expect the same at Dolby this year. Yeah, mate, my word, David, and I Sports Society, Jim and Beck Ryan in Dolby here, those nominations open up uh, beginning of next month. Obviously, another very good catalogue of horses. I know they've already got some, uh, you know, some people making making a few noises about what horses they're going to bring. And, yeah, once again, mate, we'll, uh, we'll keep all your listeners up to date. But, yeah, those nominations do open pretty soon. They'll be open for a four-week period. And, yeah, we're expecting another very, very good quality catalogue of horses again for that first weekend in December. Yeah, fantastic. Really appreciate your time this morning, mate. Thank you so much for being with us. Enjoy the next couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you again shortly. All the best, mate. Thank you very much. Good on you. Peyton Fitzsimons, National Livestock Manager for Ray White Rural. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's the 23rd of June on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Friday morning, the 23rd of June, across Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Joe Shepherd, Queensland Farmers Federation CEO, joins us this morning. Joe, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Morning, Ben. How are you? Really well. Um, the Queensland Competition Authority's final determination on the 2023-2024 regular electricity prices came into effect and will on July 1. Now, this is a real concern. We know that energy prices are going up. We know tariff prices are increasing. Um, I, I don't know how we how we minimise this. I don't know how we have a look at it and how, if there is any schemes that people in rural and regional Queensland can access to try and 
alleviate some of the costs, which are going to be seriously increased. Yes, energy prices are on the up, as you say. But I guess uh, just a couple of things before. There are some things that people can do um, in terms of this, you know, upward environment we're in with energy. But I think it's really important for people to understand the role of the QCA. Um, so effectively, they set prices for regional Queensland um, because there's not enough competition in the electricity retail market with obviously Ergon Energy supplying most of um, regional Queensland customers. Um, but they also monitor um, the retail electricity market in Southwest Queensland, and they um, uh, they also monitor the solar feed-in tariff um, offers in Southwest Queensland too, and publish reports on that. And that's also really important. Uh, because whilst you know there is competition in the uh, retail market in Southeast Queensland, it's really important to keep both sides of that competition piece. Um, so as, as you say, they've made the determination those prices will uh, prices have increased across all tariff classes. Um, and relevant to some of uh, your listeners, the tariff twenty, which is small business tariff, it's it's going to see an increase of over twenty six percent for the average wow. customer. Geez, that's bad. That's ridiculous. Well, it's, it's a significant increase. Tariff 44, which is the large business demand tariff, will see an increase of around 15%. Yeah. Um, so um, also, and you know, without getting into too much detail, because it is fairly um, complex, but um, obviously we're all aware the electricity market has really experienced a lot of volatility and uncertainty over recent years, and there's lots of factors that are contributing to that, both international and domestic Factors, but ultimately have put a lot of upward pressure on wholesale energy costs. And uh, the QCA, and you can people who are interested can read the whole determination on their on their website. But they're citing these increases in wholesale energy costs as a key driver um, for the increases in the notified prices. Um, when when they do set their costs uh, or set their price determination, the QCA does consider the Queensland government's uniform tariff policy, which we call the UTP. Um, so that uh, policy, I think it's government policy, been in place about 30 years, I think. Um, but it basically um, allows the QCA to set notified prices for customers below the actual cost of supply so that um, customers of the same class, um, you know, the, the underlying principle is they should pay no more for their electricity um, regardless of their geographical location. Uh, so that is that is some support for regional areas. Obviously, it costs more to supply electricity um, to regions, and mainly because electricity needs to be supplied over longer distances, um, and obviously to a customer base with lower density. Um, but 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 the whole the whole energy space are all learning, being forced, I think, to learn a lot a lot about it. Um, and and what I find um, uh, fascinating uh, is is you know the, the hedging strategies that, that really uh, sit behind the energy market. So wholesale costs largely determined by market, market conditions and financial markets. Um, so wholesale energy costs are the costs retailers incur when they buy electricity from the spot market, which is called the National Electricity Market, NEM, the yep. NEM, which people would hear about. Um, and to manage this spot price volatility, retailers basically adopt a range of hedging strategies um, which, you know, put simply, for example, retailers would buy an ASX contract to lock in a price for supplying electricity to customers at a later date. And the QCA approach to estimating wholesale energy costs incorporates a hedging strategy that, um, you know, a prudent retailer might adopt to manage spot price risk using ASX 
contracts. So it's, it's pretty complex, but that's a little, um, you know, 101 for, for people who are interested. Um, a lot going on in the energy space. It, the upward prices are concerning for people, but there are a few things that people can do. Um, Ben, if you want, if you want me to run through a couple, yeah, of I'd love that. I'd love that be because useful. people listening here are are really starting to be concerned, Joe, and that's the, and you understand it. I mean, you know, we're trying to we're trying to survive. We've got prices coming back, and and these increases, the the the, the, the solution is not clear. No, the solution is not clear, and I think I think you know uh, my my personal view is if if we have this conversation in ten years' time, Ben. Our, um, you know, our energy mix is going to look completely different to how it looks today. But um, QFS have actually done a, a brief recommendation um, flyer, which you can access on our, our website. But our recommendations for customers are, um, first of all, really understand the components of your electricity bill. Um, so you, your bill basically is made up of network costs, which is the, the poles and wires, uh, which transports the electricity from a power station to your home or business. The actual energy cost, so that's, um, um, you know, generating electricity obviously comes at a cost and then that also includes costs associated with the renewable energy target. Uh, the retailer's cost, so that's the cost that retailers have in terms of their operating costs and they're selling electricity. So I think, I think that's first step for people who uh, haven't already done that, really understand your electricity bill. Um, next, I reckon you should uh, check whether your existing tariff rate has changed and you can um, understand more about that at the Ergon Business Tariff um, webpage. They've got a, a, a site which is pretty good in helping um, you understand your tariff rate. Um, check, really, really examine your tariff. So check out whether a time of use business tariff, so their, their tariff 22B and 22C would work for you. So under these tariffs, you get charged a lower rate when you're using power during the day, like typically from 9 to uh, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, but um, rates increase significantly if you use power in the peak time. So that's between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. Um, so really important to make sure that you're um, on the on the correct tariff for what your usage is. Um, load control or uh, interruptible supply tariffs um, may also work for you depending on you know your usage. Um, pattern. So, so I would really take the time to understand your electricity bill and understand understand which tariff is um, best for your business use. In the short term, then there are some uh, potential relief opportunities if yeah. people are in in a drought declared area. I think there's actually only two LGAs, so left in Queensland at the moment, who are drought declared. That will make it uh, hard, but, though. Like, but you you are happy to look at them and help them, aren't you? Like at QFF. Yeah, definitely. We can we can we can help uh, as as do Ergon Energy. They've got they've got people who will help as well. But if you are in a drought declared area, the direct so the drought relief from energy charges scheme applies, um, which will give you um, some relief in the recent budget announcement. Obviously, there was uh, the energy rebate bill, um, mostly for individuals and uh, residential. But there is uh, some small businesses will be eligible for a 650 energy bill rebate. Um, which will help, and my understanding is you'll automatically get those. Um, and the other thing I'd encourage people to do in the region uh, is, if you're in the regional in a regional area, sign up to the Ergon Energy Analysis um, Service, and that will also help you better understand your individual um, 
business needs, but certainly, you know, for farmers who are struggling with it, first step, go, go to either uh, the Ergon assistance page or the QFF. We've got lots of information on our website as well. Oh, I think well said, and you make a really good flag. Appreciate your time this morning, Joe. Um, it's obviously, we could talk a lot of different issues, but this energy crisis is one that is obviously very um current and present at the moment and i thank you so much for giving us some time this morning on rural queensland today we'll catch up again shortly sounds good thank you ben good on you joe shepherd uh, ceo of qff uh we're going to take a break come back this is rural queensland today with ben dobbin it is friday morning the 23rd of june well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, so much to like and so much to see what was going on. Enjoy your weekend. I'm actually having a couple of weeks off. That's right, two weeks off on Rural Queensland Today. I'll be back on the 10th, Monday the 10th of July and looking forward to that. Andrew Watts, one of Queensland's leading race callers um, in the bush, will be hosting Rural Queensland Today for the next two weeks. Uh, and uh, look after Watsy. He's a great man and doing great things in the bush with the racing industry. Have a great weekend and a great fortnight. I'll be back on Monday the 10th of May. Ray Hadley joins you next. Till next time, from all the team here at Rural Queensland today, it's bye for now.